Many of you know that I had the privilege of marrying a Texas A&M Aggie. About to prove my point by just doing that thing right there. Yeah, my, my wife went to Texas A&M. We're still married, so I am married to a Texas A&M Aggie. I'm grateful for that. Uh, my great love for her has led me to be able to now tolerate Texas A&M. And I think you know what that says about my tremendous love for Jordan, that I have moved from righteous indignation to now toleration for this university and college station, Texas. You know, as I have been married to Jordan, dated Jordan, been with Jordan, been around her family, been around her friends, what I have observed is a fascinating thing. As Aggies interact with one another and as they, they notice each other and, and we in turn on the outside of the Aggie cult, uh, well, uh, culture, uh, look upon that with uh, great fascination. It's amazing how quickly and how deeply Aggie culture becomes entrenched of the, in, the, in the lives of those who have gone there and the parents who send their children there and have invested their money in this incredible school. The, the cheers, the stories, the way of life, the, the folklore of Texas A&M is strong amongst Aggies and not just when they're gathered together. Yeah, when they're a hundred something thousand strong at Kyle Field, you can feel the, the culture moving forward. But even when they're apart, even when they're just walking through an airport, the culture lives strong. You can recognize an Aggie, and an Aggie can really recognize an Aggie. Certainly when they're wearing clothes, when they have the Texas A&M logo, you can say, you know, hey, I went to Texas A&M, and there's an immediate connection there. But also the rings, Right, All Aggies apparently get a class ring that didn't stop in high school. It continues on in college. And it's a big deal for an Aggie to get the ring. And so when another Aggie notices another Aggie ring, what's the first thing they do? What year did you graduate? It's, the first, it's an immediate connection. They know they're among brothers and sisters. And they're talking about their love for Texas A&M. When you speak the name Texas A&M around Aggies, the first thing they do is what you heard them do just a minute ago. Whoop, right? Whoop, there it is. Not just the hip hop song from the late 90s. There's a culture built into Texas a and that the moment that you hear that name, you signify yourself and your devotion to Texas A&M by saying the word whoop. Here's my point. Aggies identify themselves. They're identifiable. Aggies know one another. And they are known by those outside, by what they wear, what they say, how they act. The culture of Texas A&M comes through the Aggies such that they are noticeable. And that's not just true of Aggies, right? I mean, it's true of, in a number of ways of life. Who you are comes through. If you're from the Northeast, if you're from Boston, you're not going to be able to hide your accent for long, right? It's going to come thickly. If you're from another country, you're going to stick out. The way that you speak, the accent that you have. When you heard Pastor Moses speak this morning, you probably thought he's from the Dominican. You heard the accent that signified there's something different about him. He is from somewhere else. And the same thing is true in our lives as Christians. Here's what I want us to be challenged with this morning. How identifiable are we as the people of God? How known are we as the people of God? If it is true 
that you are known as a Texas A&M Aggie, shouldn't it even be more true that the marks of Christ would be so identifiable in our life that other Christians would know who we are, that we are connected by the work of Christ and that those outside of us would know that there is something unusual and distinct and different about us. Certainly what is true outside the church should be more true of the church. Here's the deal. When Christ Jesus takes a hold of your life, when the gospel takes root in your heart, when the love that God has for you and has displayed for you and the sending of his son wrecks your life such that you can't see the world the same way any longer, such that your view of the world and eternity have changed, that has to show up in your life. The work of the gospel will inevitably come out in your life. And here's what Christ is telling us this morning. It must. It must. The marks of the kingdom and your life under the rule and reign of King Jesus, they're going to show up somewhere. And they must show up in your life. The expansion of the kingdom and the glory of God depend upon it. Listen, you are a part of a kingdom people when you come to know Jesus. And collectively, we as the people of God become a kingdom outpost where where the world looks at us and they get to see what this King Jesus and the, the world and the ethic that he is trying to establish is all about. Christians will look different. We will talk different because God has given us a language to speak of him and to to converse about him with one another. We're going to dress different. And not just to be modest, we're going to wear the same D Now shirts for 10, 15 years because we're so committed to the verses and the truth of those verses that we wear. We're going to be different. We're going to look different. We're going to act different. We're going to speak different. Christians should be identifiable. Our commitment to Christ as the people of God should be noticeable. I want you to hear me, friends. As believers, we're not trying to hide who we are. You should not be trying to hide who you are. No, we're striving to be attractively distinct under the compelling love of Jesus Christ so that people notice us, right? As an outsider who comes from a place where College football reigns supreme in Louisiana. Even the Aggies are a little bit noticeable to me. Like, that's a little different. That's, that's a different level of commitment. Here's my question. As followers of Christ, do people around us, around us, outside of us, look at us and say, you know what? There's something different about them. But also a little bit attractive. Why are they being so nice to me? Why are they treating me with dignity and respect? Why are they speaking to me kindly? What, how do they have this love that emanates from them? How are they so joyous? Why do they not get moved by the circumstances that come into their life? Why are they not as concerned about moving up the corporate ladder like their life depends upon it? How do they, how do they treat one another in their marriage that way? How do they parent that way? And in the midst of people asking us those questions, we have the incredible opportunity to say, only by the grace of God, only by the transforming work of Jesus, do I act the way that I do. Because he has loved me 
and now I love him, and that love is showing forth in my life. From the teaching of Jesus, here's what we see today from Matthew chapter 5. As the people of God, we are called to be salt and light, living actively and noticeably for the glory of God. As the people of God, we are called to be salt and light, living actively and noticeably for the glory of God. It is my prayer that I am more known for being a follower of Christ than a fan of LSU football, especially after yesterday, uh, or being from Louisiana, or whatever else, whatever moniker I have taken up on myself over the years. If I'm not known first and foremost for being a follower of Jesus Christ, I've failed. If we as a church are not known first and foremost for being dedicated to the glory of God in exalting Jesus Christ, then friends, we have failed. Let us be known, known for that above everything else. Here's what Jesus says as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You, those who are in this kingdom, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This portion of Matthew chapter 5 continues the introduction portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And what is said in the Beatitudes that we looked at last week in the first part of chapter 5 are directly connected to what Jesus is saying here in our text this week. Last week, Christ told us what it was to be blessed in the kingdom of God, what it was to be approved for the kingdom of God. You will be in the kingdom of God if you are poor in spirit. You will be in the kingdom of God if you mourn. You will be in the kingdom of God if you are meek. You will be in the kingdom of God if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be in the kingdom of God if you are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. You are blessed and in the kingdom of God if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You are blessed and included in the kingdom of God if you are reviled. People utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on the account of Christ. You will be different. You will look different. You will act different if you are a part of this kingdom because you have been transformed by the love of God such that now you love God and you love others. God's done something in your life. He's revealed himself to you. And as a result, you're going to look different. You're going to act different. And what tremendous blessing. These, these evidences of the work of the kingdom in your life. You'll be favored by God, accepted by God, so that now you can experience him here and all of eternity. But then Jesus moves from the language of blessing here, the, the monikers of blessing, the, the way that you can know that you're a part of the kingdom of God as the work of the Spirit outflows from you and talks now about the responsibility of that. 
Look at the blessings. Look at the evidence of blessing in your life. Do you see these things in your life? That means that the Holy Spirit is working in you because you're so different from the world around you. Sin is no longer defining and reigning in your life. No, King Jesus is ruling and reigning in your life. Here's the evidence of it. If you're blessed in these ways, but now there's also a responsibility. Jesus says that the supernatural life that will allow you to be a part of his kingdom will be noticed and it must be noticed for the work of the kingdom to continue and to spread. This kind of life has to be noticed and the noticing is part of God's plan for his glory to be revealed and for others to come to know what God has done for them in Christ. And Jesus uses two different metaphors to help us understand our responsibility, to help us understand how he's going to use what he has worked within us to continue to draw people to himself. He says that we're salt and that we are light. If you're in the kingdom, if you're a true disciple, not a part of the crowd, you're going to be the salt of the earth. If you're my disciple, you're going to be the light of the world. Now, why these two specific metaphors? Why salt and light? Just be Besides the fact that they're common things in our life, why does Jesus use these specific things to describe our responsibility to the kingdom, to the work that he's going to do through us for his glory? Well, let's remember the nature of the world as described by the Bible. You guys know what the Bible teaches us about our world because of the wake of sin. We live in a world of corruption We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world that is broken by sin. And the evidence is all around us. We started seeing some of that addressed even in the Gospel of Matthew. Not only sinfulness being displayed in our lives, self-righteousness, relying on ourselves to to get ourselves righteous before a holy and righteous God. Not only uh, elevating ourselves at the expense of others, but also death sickness, poverty, all these things that the kingdom of God will speak to as it seeks to undo the full effect of sin. There's corruption, there's darkness, and the kingdom of God will work to overcome that. The kingdom of God and the king and his good news, his gospel will seek to undo every single thing that has been touched by sin. And he will begin to show how this work can display itself upon the earth, even in the midst of this darkness, even in the midst of its corruption, through the people of God. As our love for him begins to translate in a love for each other, as we begin to care for one another, as we begin to, to encourage one another, speak life to one another, and help those who are affected by the wake of sin, in poverty, in sickness, consumed with disease, The kingdom that God is building will be evidenced through his people. So we're the salt of the earth. God's people are called to be salty in a good way, not like in the bad way that your weird uncle is, right? Salty. Why salt? Well, I think historically we all know that salt has been used primarily for two major things, to preserve and to enhance 
Now, we don't really use salt to preserve things today because we have electricity and we have refrigerators and freezers. But back in Christ's time, they used salt to preserve meat, to prevent decay, and also to help things taste good. Because we do that even today. Some things need a little salt because it helps with the taste. And I think both of those meanings, at least those meanings, are referenced as Christ refers to his people as the salt of the earth. We're called to help preserve what is good. We're called to preserve what Christ is promoting in the kingdom. We're called to preserve the teaching of Jesus, right? I mean, one of the things that we do as the people of God is we preserve what God has said is good. We preserve what, what God has declared about himself so that others may know about it. We, we highlight, we repeat, we declare over and over again the goodness of God, the holiness of God, the, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God, and how all of those things are now good for us because of what he has done for us in Christ. We exalt Christ as the fulfillment of every single promise that he has made to his people. We, we exalt Christ as the, the singular fulfillment of all of our hopes. We, we preserve what God has said is good. We preserve what God has said about himself so that the generations who come up through the church as people are one to Christ and wed to the people of God can know what God has said about himself and why he is worthy of being followed. And how to do that in a way that glorifies him. So we, we promote the teaching of God. We preserve the teaching of God so that it doesn't decay. It doesn't wander. It doesn't become watered down by influences outside the church. We want to preserve what God has said is good amongst us and amongst our culture. We have a responsibility to push forward the kingdom of God. And that means that we say not only among ourselves, but to those outside who do not know Jesus yet, what God has said is good. Because in promoting what God has said is good, we have an opportunity for them to consider who authored what is good in God. So we have a responsibility, not just amongst ourselves, to promote, but to promote outside of ourselves what God has said is good. It's important for us to say as the church, that all life is a gift from God, from the womb to the grave. That life is a gift that has been given by God. It's important for us to say that the lives of every single person, regardless of color, matter because they were created in the image of God. It's important for us to say that we celebrate the exercise of power justly and decry the exercise of injustice. All those things are important for us to say because God has said them. And it is good for our society and for us to be in agreement about what God has said. You may remember in Jeremiah 29, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites who are about to, or Jewish people, who are about to be moved into Babylonian exile. And yeah, there's that whole 2911 thing that does go on our BBS shirts or our vacation or our D-Now shirts that I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you. But before that, Jeremiah is telling them how they should approach their time of living in exile, which is really important for us because guess what? We're living in exile. And he says, hey, when you go to Babylon, promote the welfare of the city. Promote the, you want me to, to do things and, and help them excel and be better, even though they're taking me into captivity? 
I don't want them to be better. I want them to be destroyed. And yet God says, no, no, no. You're going to be there a while. So seek their welfare. Tell them what is good. Allow them to see the wisdom of God on display because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And that same principle is true for us today, friends. Whatever God has said is good, it's good for us to declare, hey, this is good. And all of us receive the common grace of God when we operate under what he has said is good. Just try it. Just try it. Try to honor what God has said is good and see if it doesn't show up in your life. Some sort of blessing doesn't show up in your life. And let that point you to the author of that goodness and the author of that blessing. To call you to give your life completely to him, not just a portion of him. It is good for us as the people of God to preserve what is true and good and to promote what is true and good just as salt is meant to do. But we're also, in our saltiness, calls to to help the gospel taste good. It's another function of salt, right? Salt helps things taste good. We preserve what is good, living it out amongst ourselves and promoting it in our society, and people begin to take notice. And as they are trying to find some moral code that that governs human lives, some sort of explanation as to why things are the way they are and how they can relate to this God who created us, if there is a God, then we're able to, to point them to the reason why our lives are different and noticeable and our lives themselves become flavor, become an aid to the movement of God through his gospel. As people notice how we have partaken of God, as people notice how we treat one another, the evidence of the gospel in our life becomes salt. They they enhance the taste of the gospel, which in their sinfulness, they would want to reject. You know, uh, when I turned 30, something happened in my body. Anybody can relate to this as we get older? I just couldn't eat what I used to eat. Right? I mean, when I was in my 20s, I could eat anything, and it didn't matter. And then something happened in my 30s, and everything I ate began to have an effect. My, I just didn't feel good. Have you ever been like this? I was, you know, eating kind of everything that I ate normally, but I, just didn't, I was tired. My, my, my body just felt off. And Jordan said, Jared, it's because you don't eat any vegetables. When we got married, I kid you not, in my pantry, I had a box of Cheez-Its, and peanut butter and jelly. Am I lying? That's 100% true. That's what I ate. I either ate out or I had peanut butter and jelly and Cheez-Its. Some guys over here can relate. If you go to DBU, I know it's probably true of you as well. And right now, God bless you, your body can get away with it. But there comes a time where it won't anymore. And what you put into your body, your body begins to feel and be sensitive to in other ways. And so my wife is a wonderful cook. And uh, I feel like I need to celebrate her now that I talked about the Aggies earlier. But it's all true. It's not flattery. It's true. She's a wonderful cook. And she began to cook vegetables in a way that I actually began to like. I never ate broccoli in my life. Yet Jordan does something to the broccoli with some ranch dressing, not dressing, but like the little flakes and some seasoning. And all of a sudden, I kind of like broccoli. And she put some, on some green beans, she did some, some pepper and some salt. And what once was repulsive to me, and my body just didn't like it, suddenly I'm starting to eat it and enjoy it to the point now, we're several years into our marriage later, they're actually things that I enjoy, I like. 
my body needed it all along. But I had not acquired the taste for the things that my body needed. They were repulsive to me. And it took something to catch my taste buds attention to change the way I thought about those vegetables. To the point now where if I don't eat vegetables for a period of time, my body begins to cry out for something different. Now I want you to think about how this translates to our spiritual reality. In our sin, we don't think we need what we need. And over time, your body's, your spiritual body is gonna tell you, hey, something's not right. I thought if I just had this, this promotion, I thought if I just had this new car, this house, I thought if I married that person, it was gonna be fine. But the older I get, the more I realize that those things just don't ultimately bring satisfaction. And what if somebody said, hey, I got some green beans for you. And your sinful self says, oh, I don't like green beans. You're going to like these green beans. And then all of a sudden, you get a taste of those green beans and your soul says, that's what I've been craving all along. And suddenly, what used to not taste very good to you, you can't live without. And here's the good thing about the kingdom of God. That, that metaphor breaks down because it, at the end of the day, it's still broccoli and green beans, right? And they're, they're okay, they're fine, but they're not cake, right? Here's the good news about the kingdom of God. Jesus is good for you like broccoli and green beans, but he tastes like cake. <laughs> Somebody better get an amen. That's, that's a holly stomping ground moment right there, right? Because you're like, oh yeah, I think sometimes we think, okay, yeah, going to church is like taking my vegetables. And there's like a negative connotation for that. But what if in the kingdom of God, as everything else is flipped upside down, the vegetables become like cake or brownies or whatever it is that you love. It's so much better than you could ever imagine. And suddenly it's not a chore anymore. It's the thing that you, you, you long for. You crave. And, it, and the Lord used the evidence of your life, the evidence of the church as a way to, to whet the appetite for somebody who is lost in darkness. So here's the question, friends. Is your life salty? Individually, in a good way. Is your life salty? People look at you and they, do they see the, the truth of God being lived out in your life? Or do they see someone who compromises a lot? Do they... They get a taste. Is their, their appetite whetted for the things of God? Or is your life something God has to overcome to get people to notice him? Are we as a church salty in that way? Are we preserving the truth of God's word? Or are we allowing the world outside to creep in such that it compromises the teaching of God's word? There's decay rot amongst us. And as a kingdom outpost, do people look at this body of believers and see what happens inside of it and think, I gotta be a part of that? Because there's something different about these people. If not, there's a danger. Verse 13, again, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste. Now, Jared, how does that happen? Salt can't become not salt. How does it lose its taste? It's a stable compound, NaCl. I'm not going to get into chemistry this morning. But back then, remember, salt was not created in a perfect form. Like it didn't, 
It wasn't generated from some company and you got pure salt delivered to your house, right? Back then it was mined and it had other elements around it. There were impurities all around it such that if the thing that had the salt in it fell out, what was left would be considered having lost its saltiness. But the idea is there. The idea is, hey, people in the kingdom, don't let what happens outside of you affect you to the point where you lose your distinctiveness. I don't care what you're eating. You put salt on it, what are you going to taste? Salt. It's pretty distinct. Don't lose your flavor, church, by allowing what's happening outside to affect you more than you affect it. Because otherwise, you're going to be cast off. You're of no use in the kingdom if you're not being distinct for the glory of God. Secondly, not only are the people of God salt of the earth, they are the lights of the world. We work to undo the corruption of the world and we work to shine the light of the gospel in the midst of this present darkness. It's important for us to remember though, it's not our light that we're shining as the kingdom of God. It's the light of our king that we are reflecting for his glory. Do you remember how John begins his gospel? It's very important as we think about the light that we are shining. John begins his gospel and his prologue by telling us who the light of the world actually is. Here's what he says, verses, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. All talking about Jesus here, the divine logos. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, listen, and that life was the light of men. And this light, it shines in the darkness, such that the darkness cannot overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about this light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And I want you to think about that verse 8 is what we have been called to do. We're not the light, but Christ has birthed new life within us such that life and light come from us. And we bear witness now, as John the Baptist did then, about the source of this light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God is at the Father's side. He has made him known. There is darkness everywhere around us. The darkness of sin creeps in everywhere around us, but from that darkness, within that darkness, God has shown a bright light, and his name is Jesus Christ. And now, we who are consumed with hopelessness, consumed with despair, have the joy of the Lord sitting before us. And as we behold Christ, we get to behold the glory of God in all of his fullness. 
And that does something to us. As we're transformed from one degree of glory to another, and the new life within us shows up on our faces, and the light of Christ emanates in such a way that the glory of God moves forward. Isn't that incredible? Many of you can be a testimony to this. Some of you in this room lived lives that were so opposed to the things of God, all you could describe your life pre-Jesus was darkness. Do you know people like this who were so opposed to the things of God? They were just consumed with darkness. And all of a sudden, one day, Jesus revealed himself to them. The Holy Spirit got a hold of their life through the proclamation of the gospel and their heart was open to the things of God. And in the middle of that darkness, bright light shone and they repented and believed unto salvation in Jesus Christ. And you noticed the change. You ever been there? Their face was different. Their mannerisms were different. Their speech was different. The light that Jesus birthed within them was shining forth. They were now reflecting the light of Christ and it encouraged you because it reminded you of what God did for you. It was an evidence to everyone around you of the power of the gospel on display. Friends, that reality is true for every single one of us, whether we know it or not. Because whether or not we knew it before Christ, we were in darkness. I don't know how, how bad your darkness was, but it was bad. It was eternally separating you from the, the love of God. But Jesus stepped into that darkness and called you to himself. And the moment that happened, a new life was born in you. And that new life has to show up. It's got to show up. You can't hide that light. And think about this. Here's the beauty of God's people. What's true of one person and the brightness of that light, can you imagine the truth of hundreds, thousands of people who have had that light birthed within them, gathering together? Can you imagine the brightness of that light for the glory of God? We're a city on a hill, friends. We ain't trying to hide and we shouldn't hide. And even if we wanted to hide, we couldn't do it. Because the light of Christ is too bright in the lives of those he has called to himself. The people of God are not called to go into hiding. We are not called to hide our light under a bush, oh no. We're not called to let Satan it out. We've got to let it shine for the glory of God. Listen, I know some in this room have tried to hide their light. Jerry, it's just uncomfortable to be known as the Christian person at work. I don't want to be labeled that. I just want to show up get my work done, and move on. I'll try to minimize my Christianity. So I don't wear the shirts. I don't wear, I don't have a Jesus sticker on my bumper. I don't have verses on my desk. I just don't want that pressure. I get it. But, listen, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why Jesus left you here to allow the light of God to shine through you. I know it's uncomfortable sometimes. I remember a few years ago, I was, I was going to speak at a camp. Actually, I was returning home speaking at a camp. And I had a, I had a, a shirt given to me from the camp. It was, the, the camp's theme was Jesus is Greater. And the front of the shirt just had the big, had, a, had the name Jesus written across it and then a greater than sign. And so you couldn't miss it. If you, if you saw me, I was wearing it on the way home. I'm just I'm just clearly repping the name of Jesus in the airport. 
And I gotta be honest with you guys, I felt so self-conscious about it. Because I was like, well, I better be careful what I do and how I act and what I say because people are gonna be knowing whose team I'm on. And I had people say, hey man, like your shirt. And then I had other people giving me that weird look that people give you when you're, you know, your Jesus is on display, right? Like, Ugh, I don't wanna be near that guy. I'm not gonna sit near him. I'm gonna charge my phone over here. And it, it does feel weird when people know where you stand. But here's what I also know. In that moment, as silly as wearing a shirt may be, some people thought about Jesus that day who wouldn't have thought about him otherwise. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord used that to bring glory to himself. Who knows how God wants to use what you wear, what you put on your desk, what you say. You cannot, you cannot neglect the speaking of God's word. Who knows how he wants to use that for his glory? Don't try to hide your light. Put it where everyone can see because there is a world in darkness and they are looking for the light. They're looking for the light. They're lost. They're longing for the light. And what joy it will be when in the midst of their darkness shines the light of Christ through you, through us. What if God were to use us for his glory in that way? Here's the question. Are you a light for people in darkness? Are you trying to hide your light to fit into the darkness? Are we the kind of people who show other people the way to salvation? Or are we the ones who cover our light for our own comfort? Remember, God's glory is on the line. We don't hide ourselves. We want our light to shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory not to you, but to God, our Father who is in heaven. The whole purpose of living noticeable lives, salty lives and bright lives is so that others will take notice, not of us, but of our God who has saved us and glorify him. This is the way the kingdom grows. This is the way the church grows. We live lives worthy of the kingdom of God. And when people notice, we tell them about our king. I'll be very careful here. I'm not saying that you can just live your life in such a way that you never bring clarity to why you're living your life by speaking the truth of the gospel. You, gotta, you have to use the words that God has given you to bring clarity to why you are the way you are. But there's no question our lives are a great icebreaker for the movement of the gospel. So is your life helping the gospel grow or is it hindering the growth of the kingdom? Friends, church, what do people know you for? Are you known more because of your love for Christ or your love for something else? I failed if people know me more for anything else in my life other than my love for Christ. I'm striving to be known by that. May we as a people commit to that as well. May we be salt and light for the glory of God.
How should we respond this morning? Well, the first question I have to ask is this. Have you seen the glory of God in Christ and joined his kingdom through repentance and belief? And maybe there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus. And you've been sitting there as we've been shining a light on the word of God, as we've been teaching the word of God, as you've experienced the community that we are displaying right here, something in you has clicked. And you can feel the Holy Spirit saying to you, you need this Jesus in your life. What an opportunity this morning. For you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. To taste and see that he is good, that he is what your soul has been longing for all along. I can't think of a better response than that today. For those of us who are in Christ, though, as individuals, are you living as the salt of the earth and the light of the world? What are you known for? What do people see in your life? Do people know where you stand with Jesus? As a church, are we committed to this work, becoming a true kingdom outpost that preserves the gospel, accentuates the gospel, and shines a light on the gospel? We can give ourselves to a lot of things. There's nothing greater than that. May we give ourselves to this Let us be influencing the world around us more than it is influencing us for the glory of God because eternity is at stake. The kingdom of God is at stake. The glory of God is at stake. Wherever you are, would you bow your head? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond Do you know Jesus? If you do, does your life look like it? Is there salt in your life? Is there light in your life? As a church, are we accentuating and highlighting the right things? for the glory of God. Father, we want to be used for your kingdom. God, you've blessed us so incredibly. And we see the markers of the Beatitudes in our lives. We're so grateful for how you have released us from the burden and the pressures of this world. And so, Father, help us not to neglect the responsibility that comes with that blessing to represent you faithfully here, regardless of the cost. Help us to be salt and light. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to give you time to respond right now, however you need to respond before the Lord. Certainly, one of the ways you can respond is to stand and sing of the glory of God who has saved you. What better way to show our saltiness and our light by declaring our praise to God even now. So let's stand and do that.